So, all right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome John Beneducci, the legend, the manimal, professional mixed martial artist, jujitsu expert, black belt, second degree black belt in jujitsu. That's impressive. So John has a really cool story. Um, and John and I have a really great connection. Um, the way I met John was at a fitness convention in Austin that I was traveling to film. I actually made a vlog about this. It's on my YouTube channel. Um, but the guy who I went with, we roomed with John. So that's how I met John. I was just finishing up and about to premiere my debut documentary, Forget About Yesterday. And I was telling John about this documentary. And then I said, we should make a documentary about you. He, for some reason, loved the idea. Oh, and, um, and now we're planning on shooting his documentary, which will be my second documentary next month at the end of the month. So if you're listening to this later, that'll be the last week of October, 2020. So I'm, October 2020, we're on Making Manimal. I'm nervous, which you know for me is always a good sign. Yes, yes. So John, you have been training. For I've been this. training now, yeah, because I think that before the end of the year, I'm going to have something coming up. Yeah. And so you. The way I think it will, hopefully everything we do lines up into uh, another fight. And listen, it's not me that wants to fight. I asked the guns. You know, I'm pious. I'd be good after the last one. If they said I'm good, I would have been good. Okay. You got more to do. So before we get too deep into that, I want you to just, I just want to take it back That's to the beginning. I can't, I can't, we can't talk about Odin before we talk about who John is. So yeah, exactly. it won't make sense to them. So just tell me, start from the beginning. Start, who's John Beneducci? So I'm short. Fat, bald, hairy. You're not really fat. Thank you. Well, everything um, else. Thank you. My my wife is on uh, is on a Zoom call in the next room. She's working from home. She's actually off today, but she's still working from home somehow. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, late in life. Uh, I'm uh, have a new career as a pro fighter again. I had a pro career early when I was like, you know, in my 20s, early 20s. And then I was off for 10 years, had all different shit going on. I owned a gym, I made fitness products. And then after that all went to shit, I found myself somehow fighting in Bellator again, actually way ahead of where I left off. So, okay. You had a, that was a weird sentence you said. You have. You have a new career as a pro fighter again. New career as a pro so fighter. So this is your new career restarting your second career as a pro. So when did you start training? Probably like right at the end of 1999. How old were you? 2000. Because I think I was a sophomore in college. So I was 19, 20, like that. Before that, you know, I was fat. So I was like, I fight at 145 now. I was 265. I'm 5'5". I am short. So I can be fat. I mean, listen, sometimes I, I walk around 185, which is crazy. That's like the biggest 145 or ever. 
Yeah, you're, you're, dead, you're a big 145. Big 45 thick. Yeah. If I would have cut weight like this when I was younger, I probably would have fought at 135. But the lightest we could go back in a day was 155. Okay. So all my fights up until the fight at the Garden is at 155. Okay. So then I really should have been fighting. Yeah. I mean, and I still had victories at 55, you know, in great fights. Yeah. So, you know, in professional fighting, everything adds up. So sometimes, you know, someone's, you know, fit 20 pounds heavier, there's 20 pounds more power they could absorb. Whatever. Long story short, I lost 120 pounds come fight time. Okay. Well, okay. <laughs> we're kind of, I feel like we're kind of skipping things. So take me from the day John was born until the, the day John stepped in the fighting gym for the first time. In in chronological order. So listen, not only now I really set some stark contrast. Yeah. Not only was I not an athlete, but I had like some weird medical shit as a kid. So I forget what it's called, but I had this disorder that like your feet curve to each other. I gotta see if I find it. In my garage, I gotta see if I find it. I used to have to wear a a metal bar or a wood bar in between like two shoes. It was like on a frame to like straighten out your legs as you grew. So I had like a weird leg problem as like a little kid. Uh, so yeah, I'm not that athletic. <laughs> That's going no. on with that. Not naturally at least. You weren't I'm born an athlete. Yeah, yeah, I'm not like a born athlete. Like I'm not like that guy in the gym who's like, yeah, I've been training since I'm six years old, seven years old. Oh, I've been training. Yeah, I did sports. Uh, I'm not really that guy. I was like smoking a lot of weed and, <laughs> and drinking as like a kid and fat. Because listen, when you're fat and you got a beard, dude, I tell you what, I was like 13 years old and going to like bars without needing to get it, like not getting ID. Damn. It just looked like I was like a trucker, like a fat fucking white trash trucker, you know, <laughs> beard, uh, thick as fuck, right? Imagine me at 265. I was really wide. Yeah. You think it takes time to put on that much size? Yeah. I'm just short. No. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I didn't train until I was like 18. Uh, I was more like kind of, although I did like to smoke a lot of weed. I, I was kind of nerdy. I went to Brooklyn Tech, which is a nerdy school. So in New York City, there's three like specialized high schools. And if you're smart, you take a test and you get into these special public schools. So while they're public schools, they're not like public schools, right? They're, they're like elite uh, special schools. And, I'm, and I went to one of those being Brooklyn Tech in Brooklyn. Yeah. I'm actually very proud of it. So I was kind of geeky. I was kind of nerdy. Yeah. And then you ended up being, you went to college. So you're this big, big boy. You're nerdy. Um, partying. Partying, yeah. I was partying. So hard. like socially, you're not quote unquote a nerd. But when it comes to school, you're very into, you're very into your education. And then you go to college and you're a history major, right? No, first my my undergrad degree is in forensic psychology. Okay. I worked at the I worked at uh, the G building as a friend uh, before they closed it in the forensic psych unit. 
So if you're criminally insane, you go to the forensic psych unit first, and then you either are found competent to stand trial. If you go to trial, then we would do like insanity defense if you needed that. And you would either get civilly committed or criminally committed if you were found competent to stand trial. So I did that for like a year. So yeah, I am kind of nerdy, but that was like too much nerding out for me. Then I went for my master's at Brooklyn College in history. Okay, so I want to... I thought okay. I would like travel the fucking world and like write about ancient Rome, but you know what I realized about that? It's fucking easy to be a pro athlete. That shit ain't happening. No one's going <laughs> to fucking travel around and fucking what? Oh yeah, can you do... I need someone to pay for six months in Rome for me. So that I can write a book and study. No, it didn't work out that way. And I had started training. So listen, so in my, my, my sophomore year of college, like early in my sophomore year of college, I was either 19 or 20, I forget. You know, we don't have great tracking back in the day. No cell phone, no Facebook. I can't go look back in my memories and be like, when was the first day? Not every picture has a date. We'll go through old pitches too. Yeah. You get here. But I have some shit from like when I first started training. And, uh, yeah, dude, can I tell you about the first day I trained? Yes, please. So I like them and that. Maybe, you know who we got to get? We got to see if I can get my boy, Philippe, the guy I first started training with. Okay. Philip Nover, he was in the UFC. He had 20 fights. But, that, you know, remember, I had an early career. So all the guys I started with really are retired and have gyms now. Yeah. Right, like, when I started training with back in the day, has like their own crew of fighters. Like I'm a total anomaly, you know, out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you're 40 year old professional yeah. fighter still in the game. I mean, and you're cutting weight. You're still like preparing to fight at your age. So yeah, I don't, I think in all of sports, that's an anomaly, especially fighting. Especially fighting, yeah. I mean, like, I'm especially, especially fighting. Especially MMA. Yeah. It's not even boxing. I have to wrestle these kids. It's tough. But, uh, who, who, how old was the guy you beat at the garden? I mean, he was 30. And you were 38, right? 38. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, take me, I want to hear about this forensic psychology thing. Cause for some reason I feel like that has some, had that, it, that had to benefit your fighting in some way. No, not really. It was just actually, no? I thought it was, that shit was going to be like CSI, but it was really a lot of paperwork. I have a couple crazy stories, but I don't think anything I can really talk about on camera. Do you I think your non-disclosure stuff works with that? Do you think learning psychology teaches you about fighting and the pre preparation for fighting? Now that is fifty percent of my job as a coach, also. That's what I meant. Yeah. Most so of my job, you know, I don't fight that frequently. I say I'm a fighter, but it's really semi. Like I fight like if I fight once a year, that would be a lot for me. You know, so I don't have a lot of miles on the clock, but I do love training. And yeah, I'm not the kind of guy that's used to competing all the time. So it is a lot of effort for me, but I do love it. I told you it's like a sacrament for me. Oh, but my, mostly I coach. I love coaching. I love coaching jujitsu. Love training people. Competing wise, yeah, like I really got to get it up. So I'm not, right? I'm not the guy that like every weekend competed as a kid that it's, something that you just always have to do. And I really fell in love with training first. So Phil, so my boy Philippe, listen, I used to have a hardware store in Brooklyn. So I used to have a hardware store in Brooklyn and uh, I always liked fighting. So I always liked MMA. 
I remember watching the first UFC, and even before the first UFC, Pancrase, it was a Japanese organization that used to do, uh, they were like fights, but they were hard fake fights. It was like if me and you were like, yo, like don't pull your punches, but let me win. So you were like soccer. So they would have these like weird pro wrestling shoots. And then they started doing some of them that they would be like no scripted winner. They would like fight with weird rules. Open hand strikes on the feet. So it wasn't true MMA, but it was like a predecessor to that. Because some of those guys came over and fought in the first UFC. Okay. Okay, then you had another subculture of this no holds barred fighting, which was in Brazil. And that was like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Valley Tudo, two different styles that fought a lot in Brazil in like Brazilian challenge matches. You go to someone's gym and you guys just fucking fight. No biting, no eye gouging, and you have a fight. And jujitsu was very popular. And the guys who did the first UFC tried to really make it a showcase for jujitsu. So I remember watching that first UFC and it looks like magic. Like jujitsu when you do it nice, especially when someone doesn't know jujitsu, never seen it. It looks like magic. You choke a guy unconscious, they're like, holy shit, you killed him. They're like, no, no, he's going to wake up in like 10 seconds. <laughs> you break his arm, break his leg. Like, it looks like magic if you've never seen it before. Yeah. So I, thought, I was like, oh, I want to learn how to do that shit, right? But I, it had been a few years, so you're talking about 1999, 2000. And I had this kid that used to work at my hardware store. So me and my family had a hardware store in Brooklyn, right? So I had this kid, Philippe, he was, he's a little younger than me, maybe three years younger than me. So I was 19, he's 16. And uh, one day we were in the basement doing something and we were talking about fights. And he said he would kick my ass. And I was like, there's no fucking way you kick my ass. I'm like 100 pounds heavier than you. He was a super skinny. He fought at 145 and 55. He actually fought at every weight class. He fought 45, 55, 70, and 85 once. He fought in four weight classes. Wow. By the time, by the time you asked, you, but by the time you challenged him to a fight? He was like 140. He was really skinny. So you're saying he did four different weight class fights by the time you were a sophomore in college and challenged him? No, no. Right now, at this point in the story, I'm saying afterwards. Oh, okay, okay. At this point, he's 16. He's like a buck 40. He's like a skinny Filipino kid. Got it. Okay. He's like, I'll fuck you up. I'll fuck you up right here. He was like, no, come to where I train. He set me up. He sent me up to get my ass kicked, right? He's like, oh, this guy's watch. Oh, my God. So he's like, no, come to where I train and tell him you want to, you know, you want to train. Tell him you want to spar. I was like, all right. So I go up. I tell my first instructor, Ralph Mitchell. I was like, yeah. I was like, yeah, it's Felipe sent me. He's like, oh, what do you want to do? I was like, I want to spar. He's like, you ever trained before? He's like, no. But I, I was like, oh, my God. I wish I could smack myself now. I swear to God, I think I said, but I've gotten into plenty of fights uh, that's the ultimate like dick thing to say and he's just like all right man. so let me tell you i'm fat i think at this point i had started to lose a little weight yeah like i had started to lose weight first before i started training not knowing i was going to train i just was like i'm too fat to fuck or at least watch myself fuck i had no problem getting laid but i was at least too too fat to watch myself fuck so so i started losing weight and I think at this point, I was like 230. So I was still fat, though. I was a little smaller than my heaviest, but I was still fat. Yeah. And, oh, man. These motherfuckers, first half hour of class, they jump rope. I mean, for a half hour, Jake, 
half hour. That sounds like it's not a lot, but can you imagine jump rope 30 minutes? Then they do like 20 minutes of calisthenics. This was a two and a half hour class. Mm-hmm. I'm already throwing up, I think, at this point. I think I was already like, hell, I couldn't jump rope either. So now I'm tangled in the rope. I mean, I spent pretty much 15 minutes untangling my legs. Like, wow. tangle it, yeah. <laughs> Embarrassing as fuck. I'm dying out there. Uh, then they're like, now we fucking hit the pants and spawn. Fuck it. I get sidekicked across the gym. It was a wood floor. So when you slide, you slip. Right? So I get sidekicked. I bust my ass. I'm across the gym. I'm getting my ass kicked all over the place over here. I'm like, this fucking sucks. I'm like, <laughs> then they take like a 10 minute break. And they're like, now we, we grapple. And I was like, oh, this is actually what I wanted to do. I wanted to do some jujitsu. I like grappling. Mm-hmm. I always like grappling, even in street fights. Right? I always want to grab a guy. Can I get this guy down and beat the shit out of him? I try to do the same thing. That's what my instinct tells me. And I think it's effective. Mm-hmm. When it works, it's the best strategy. Listen, that's plan A. Take the guy down and beat the shit out of him. Because if that strategy works, Jake, you take no damage. You know what I mean? Like, listen, let's say I, my strategy is to knock you out. I, I might even still, with my strategy, take some damage. Mm-hmm. If my strategy of, like, if I could just take a dude down and beat the shit out of him and submit him, when that works, you take no damage. Yeah. It's, it's like a very efficient strategy. Yeah. So, when it works. When it doesn't work, listen, hey. Where the fuck was I going with this? So now, 10 minutes break, and then we do jujitsu. So I roll with Felipe. First, so we roll, and he catches me in like an arm bar, I tap. Then, I swear to God, first day, I catch him in a guillotine choke. <laughs> and he's like, what the fuck, he taps. And the instructor's like, what the fuck you learn now? I was like, man, I watch a lot of UFC. He's like, all right, whatever. And he's like, what do you want to do? I was like, you know, I really think I want to do this more. I was like, this kind of, you know, sucked. I think I want to do this, like, professionally. He's like, yeah, okay, you're good for, like, 30 seconds. I was like, well, it's not going to get worse. And today, today's the worst it could get. Yeah. And I just showed up, like, three days a week, you know. Uh, I wound up training for, like, four years before I turned pro. So listen, so I didn't fight in college. I was like, I'm only going to do like amateur, you know, so I did all my amateur stuff in college. I organized my schedule. So I went to John Jay, which is in the city. I was able to like make a gap in my day. So I hit Henzo's in the city, Henzo Gracie Academy, mm-hmm. which at that time was like above a methadone clinic. It was the Wild West for MMA. That's what I want to really do. The history of MMA in New York or like jiu-jitsu in New York. It was so wild. It was, it was, you could never mimic it again. Although now it is actually. It almost reminds me of back in the day now. Well, yeah, because the, the quarantine and all that. Yeah. Gyms like bootlegging, right? Because um, all the gyms we used to go to, like underground, weird fucking locations, above a movie theater, in a Brooklyn basement above a methadone clinic, you know, it was all weird spots you would get for martial arts. Yeah. So now it's, it's like that, it's getting like that again. That's funny. Straight <laughs> hand zones, and I would try to go to Rodrigo Gracie's and so jujitsu, so that school that I first started in was like a Jeet Kune Do school. 
Jeet Kune Do was Bruce Lee's martial art. Okay. So there they did everything. They did stick fighting, knife fighting, kickboxing, but you know, jujitsu, whatever. They did it all. The instructor Ralph Mitchell, he's more of a kickboxer, but also was a black belt in judo. So that was like a kind of a everything school, Jeet Kune Do. Jeet Kune Do was big for a minute. So what was good about Jeet Kune Do is you could do everything. So it would be like, oh yeah, we got jujitsu guys here. This dude, they would always be like, oh, animal's a purple ball in jujitsu. Right? And either Jeet Kune Do school, a guy comes in, and he's like, oh, I want to do jujitsu. You'd have a guy that's good at that. Oh, we have a guy who's good at kickboxing. Right. The only thing is that it was hard to get a guy good at one thing, especially we had stick fighting, knife fighting. You've seen those old stick and knife fighting things I put up. Yeah, I've seen, you've sent them to me, yeah. Those are wild, you know, and you got to account those experiences for something. Totally. You know, 20, 30 matches like that is a lot of, of competing and that stuff. So my amateur career was a weird hodgepodge of all kinds of crazy shit. Give me a list of all the different kinds of fighting you did before you turned pro. So stick fight, I'm a stick fighting and knife fighting champion. So that's like Kali Eskrima, then jujitsu champion. Kickboxing, I guess. I don't know what you would call those things I did in the gym. What is that? Is that kickboxing? It looks like kick, Ray Longo calls it kickboxing. So you want to call it kickboxing? We'll call that- The legend. Ray Longo. He says those look like amateur kickboxing matches. Okay. Which I guess that's what they are. But who knows? One guy's wearing MMA gloves. One guy's wearing boxing gloves. What the fuck will we doing out there? Oh, yeah, because you had those fights where the rules were basically none. Weird. They, they, I, don't yeah. even know, but I, couldn't, I couldn't tell you what the rules were. I could, could not tell you. You show up with whatever gear you have and then you, <laughs> whatever, you have, gear? have a scrap. Yeah. Somebody wins, you move on. When you move, who you fight? What do you weigh? About 160? So I'm, I'm, I'm at four different fighting styles before you ever did a pro fight. MMA is its own fighting style, right? Mixed martial arts. Okay, so five. Do you count European sword and shield fighting? Six. I even did that at my wedding. <laughs> what? I had a Renaissance wedding. My wife and I got married at the Renaissance fair. You know, so we had costumes. It was like dinner theater. My wife got abducted by the Black Knight in the middle of the wedding. Wow. Rescued her. I fought the Black Knight sword and shield. Uh, this is amazing. Previously, and he had, we had a close match. It's five points. You get like a point for a clean head. And we went 5-4. So we rematched at my wedding. And I guess maybe he threw it, but we were close. Okay. We're very evenly matched. So you do, <laughs> at, you do at least six different fighting styles before you turn pro. And then when you do, do turn pro, there's no like UFC or Bellator, right? I mean, there was, yeah. Where, but they were like not, they weren't what they are today. No, it was hard to get in the UFC. Matt, my instructor, Matt Serra, 2001, I remember going and watching him in the UFC. And he had fought Shoney Carter. And listen, he was winning... Every second of that fight, except maybe the last 15. <laughs> but his jujitsu was fire. And I just remember being like, oh, fuck. I want my jujitsu to be fire like that. Right? Yeah. 
And uh, yeah, I really love jujitsu in MMA. Like even when I started, I was like, I want to use jujitsu to fight. Yeah. Like, I like the way jujitsu is in the fight. And that was too bad because that jujitsu in that fight was great. But he toned it down a little bit because he was, he toned it down 50% after that fight. He probably could have toned it down 15%. You know, he was doing shit like he was playing almost with the guy. Like, let's then, go get did a he win the fight? Huh? Did he win the fight? No, that's the problem with that fight. He got caught with a spinning back fist the last 10 seconds. Oh, okay. So that's great. So, yeah. Okay. So, problem with that fight, but I love that fight. Not that he lost. I w- I, of course, I wish he would have won it, but, yeah. you know, uh, his style in that fight was yeah. dynamite. Yeah, totally. That was like the first UFC I had been to in person because Zufa had just bought it. He did it in Atlantic City. Remember I put that clip up about Trump in the UFC? Yeah. Trump was like the only one that would like host them for a big event. Because remember, at that time, it was like blood sport. They considered it. Okay. You know, it was- Interesting. It was illegal in New York. Right. It had a reputation as being a blood sport. It had a, a bad reputation, a limited rule set. Not a lot of funding, you know, weird rule sets still. They're trying to unify the rules. Yeah. So, yeah, so it was rugged, and they did the Taj Mahal in Atlantic City, and those wound up being a few good events they did there. Mm-hmm. It had a good crowd. Okay. Those were great fights back in the day, too. Yeah. Those cards, those original cards were great. Yeah. So yeah, yeah it's... all over the sport, and we were just really involved with it then. So then MMA, when I was doing all my amateur shit, and then started fighting pro in 2003, I turned pro. So my first pro fight is 2003. I think I got my purple belt, and then for pro. Because I remember Rodrigo Gracie was like, if you're a jiu-jitsu stylist, if jiu-jitsu is your style, you should be a purple belt before you fight. Okay. So if you're going to represent jiu-jitsu, and it made a lot of sense. I think it even makes sense now. If you're going to rep jiu-jitsu, if you're a striker, a really good striker, maybe I would say be a good blue belt before you turn pro. But yeah, if you're a jiu-jitsu stylist, even amateur now, guys would be good. If you're a jiu-jitsu stylist, it's like amateur now. You would be a good purple belt and be fighting amateur mm-hmm. in your style. So now, right now, a lot of those amateur fights now are pro-level anyway. Our amateur fights were pro-level because they had no fucking regulation. But skill-wise, they were so varied. Now the amateur ranks have skilled competitors. Like okay. early fights. Okay. I was at a half hour on mine. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, so amateur fights now can become like very closely contested. I remember back in the day, it would be usually, you know, the quality of opponent wasn't exactly there for what you call like amateur fights. Yeah, yeah. Now they have amateur rankings. Yeah, they have, now it's like, well, because it, UFC is a big deal now. So people are gunning for it. This thing. I used to fight in high school gymnasiums. Mm-hmm. Right? For pro. Pro fights were in high school gymnasiums. Pro right? fights, yeah, we're in high yeah. school gymnasiums, yeah. 
pro fights were in high school gymnasiums because you had these small shows. My first pro fight, Jake, I got paid $170. Right. So that's what I'm trying to get at. These were low – like these pro fights were like still very like barely pro. Like you're not like paying your bills with these pro fights. Even then I was coaching. Right. So what happened, I, I was working – at my store and then and I had the psych gig. But really, after that, when I turned pro, I was just coaching really. Because I got my purple belt and Hydrigo didn't like to do privates. And I always did. Mm -hmm. Hydrigo so, Gracie, is he related to uh Yeah, he's one of the great he's a he's Henzo's like nephew. But Wasn't – who's the Gracie, the Ricky? He's Hoist's cousin. Oh, Hickson? Yeah, yeah, Hickson, Gracie, yeah. He's Hickson's cousin. Okay. Okay, yeah. So you do a bunch of these tiny, tiny pro fights, right? Yeah. Three, then, I think I got three in a row. And then you got elbow surgery. Shoulder. shoulder surgery. done twice. Yeah. So what do you do after the shoulder surgery? What – What's the next thing? So I used to make, remember I told you I used to make that mace thing, power staff. It's still like two frames to even have a mace. I made like a, you know, a slosh pipe, that pipe with water in it. You see that on it bag they make with water in it? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I made that, but it was a club. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, and it was coated in liquid rubber. I should have just sold the liquid rubber because at that time I was importing tons of it. Mm -hmm. And that is what you call Flex Seal. And Flex Seal is like a $100 million company. Mm -hmm. Instead of making power stamps with that shit, I should have sold the Flex Seal. But whatever. That's a whole <laughs> story, Jake. But so that business failed. Quote, unquote, failed, right? Power stamp did okay. Listen, it did okay. But it ran its course. Mm-hmm. So listen, when you have a fringe thing, it's still, think about it, steel mace, a lot of people don't do it. Right? Yeah. It's pretty fringe. And I had something 10 times more fringe than steel mace. And you, but you sold all your product. I sold all my product except for like a few. Yeah, I made, I can't tell you what I made, but it was a good fucking amount, Jake. Okay, good. <laughs> but <laughs> you're, you kind of regressed back into a lesser physical condition you you weren't fighting because you had the shoulder surgery no it wasn't fighting right yeah then uh then i started coaching a ton more so that business petered out when you say coaching you mean personal training well, right let me back it up yeah it took two years almost to train again after i fucked my shoulder up mm -hmm. you know so from like let's say 2007 to like 2009 i, I couldn't really train that much like yeah. it took, okay, listen, hold on. Let's talk about that. I'm fucking training for a big fight. I think I was supposed to fight Joe Lozano. I think so. And he's a UFC fighter now. Old school, one of the last old school guys, right? And I think we, and that was like for like that, like regional contention at the time, right? Mm -hmm. I hurt my shoulder three weeks out from that fight. I wind up getting surgery on it. A month after I get the surgery again, into a car accident, rips it out again. I have to get it done again, right? So 
So I had to get my shoulder done twice. And that shit kept me out for like two years. I think for a full year, I didn't do shit. I think I got back up to like 2.30. Because I was eating Haagen-Dazs and watching Lord of the Rings on loop. <laughs> yeah, Lord of the Rings on repeat. Lots of Ben and Jerry's and Haagen-Dazs. Chinese food. Sounds you know, fun. Yes, bro. I was on OxyContin for three weeks. Oh, wow. Fucks you up. Then I was depressed. You know, I was on a roll. Yeah. I was like uh, a champion purple belt in jiu-jitsu, undefeated as a pro. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah. So that shit sucked. So that kept me out for a long time. Then I was making a, when I was making power staff, I was making it because I started making it to rehab my shoulder. Okay. So that, you know how the mace is just solid. So the power staff, the weight inside moves. Mm-hmm. And I made it light. Like I had an eight pounder that I started with. Yeah. That was great because it really, doing those moves, I would put either water in it or a sand and steel shot if I wanted to make it 16 pounds. I sold those. I sold those, like I said, to the end. I started coaching more. And then from 2012 to 2016, pretty much five years, from the beginning of one to the end of the other year, I had a CrossFit gym. I started getting really into, like, uh, working out hard. And I didn't think I would fight again. You know, maybe it was in my head that I thought, you know, my shoulder, I was like, oh, I'm done. I'm coaching more, right? I got, I'm married. And I was like, yeah, then I had, then uh, I wound up opening a CrossFit gym. I had that for a long time. Yeah. But how'd that go? That didn't go too good. That didn't go as good as uh, some yeah. yeah, so Yeah. Take, take me down that path. Yeah. See, you know what the problem is, Jake? I don't know if I have time to take you down that path. I'll take you down that path real quick. So listen, I had four solid good years banging out there. I really hit CrossFit the best time to be in CrossFit too. Mm-hmm. Like when I was in it, it was like the best time. It was the most popping time. It was good. Uh, but then I had some problems. I wound up having an issue with a government agency. Uh, I had some, some other problems. Uh, things started going south financially. I had a lot of expense. I put everything I had into it. I wound up owing a ton of money to, mostly to the government. That shit happens. It's the fortunes of warfare always doubtful. Business as well sometimes. Uh, so that fucking left me bankrupt, homeless. I was sleeping in my gym because my house, we got there in February. So then from February 2016 to like August 2016, when I actually had to get out of my place, you know, when the, when you get the martial notice, that's when you leave. Yeah. <laughs> you leave when you get the martial notice. Yeah. Otherwise you stay. Fuck it. YOLO. Okay. <laughs> you know something funny? So there was a hotel across the street from my gym. And I would go there for like the continental breakfast and just pretend I stood there. If anyone asked me, they'd be like, what room are you in? I'd be like, oh, 236. Man. <laughs> and this is why. Okay. So. I'm, we can end the we can end this podcast right here. Yo, so. dude, night, hold on, I got a funny one. So one night uh, before, uh, when I was still in my house in Bayside, my fucking dog is barking. It's like three in the morning, right? 
and I had a, a little Shiba Inu, my best dog, Sashi. I keep her warriors for her. So whatever, so Sashi's barking, she's barking, barking. And I'm like, shut the fuck up. I wake up, they're towing my car. I hadn't paid my car payment for months, who knows how long. So it was like three in the morning, they were repossessing my car and I had left like all my shit in my car, like my computer, I stopped thinking, I was like, okay, just take my computer out. He's like, I was like, you know, it was like two grand to get the car out. But he was like, no, you can't like take it. You gotta come get it. I was like, how are you taking my car? I'm like, gonna get it. I was like, where's the impound lot? And it was like Huntington or some shit like that. Like I was in like Queens, I was like, oh fuck. Talk about an adventure to get that car back. But man, you wanna talk about low points. Getting the car to in the middle of the night, that was that was that was, that was a rough one. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so and I, mean, I think about it, I'm like, my wife's like, what the fuck is Sashi barking at? And I was like, I don't fucking know. And I was like, oh shit, the toe of the car. I was like, when was the last time I paid this thing? I was like, oh, I gotta be like four months. <laughs> God man. So if you want to hear the rest of this story, you've got the Manimal documentary coming soon. Coming soon. Cut. We're filming it soon. I don't know how long it's going to take me to edit, but yeah, John, thank you for coming on. I'm, I'm something's timeless. It doesn't matter. Yeah, really. I mean, it's a timeless story. You guys, all you guys, guy, all you guys who are listening, you guys are going to love it. Um, I don't know. I might be too sober when you film it, though. I hope not. <laughs> I hope I'm not smoking. Yeah, that would be. It has to be a whole different animal then. Yeah. Well, you'll be a training camp yeah. animal. Right now, you only know John. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Boogie. All right. You're, you fucking rock.